right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain. Uh, this is episode four. Um, so a uh, couple months ago, back on April 6th, published an episode with me and my friend Andre talking all about his experience with depression and especially anxiety um, related to a handful of uh, different issues that he's um, faced in his life. Um, fascinatingly, you know, despite the amount of years that I know him, um, you know, how long back our friendship goes and the fact that we sat there and talked about it and published this, uh, you know, what I still think is an incredible conversation that, you know, is a good couple hours long and, um, talking all about his experience with, um, you know, different mental health issues. Um, and, uh, not once did we bring up his experience growing up and living, uh, as a black man in America. And, uh, and that ha- has had a big impact too, um, an incredible impact. Um, and uh, as, you know, all of America and in fact, the entire world has seen, um, you know, over the past uh, couple of weeks here with uh, first the um, incredible, brutal, awful, you know, just horrific murder of a man named George Floyd in Minneapolis by uh, four police officers, one of whom put his knee in his neck, two of whom helped to hold him down. And the fourth sat, you know, stood guard over the proceedings of that as people watched on and filmed and were horrified. And then the protests that have followed in not just uh, this country, United States, but indeed all over the world um, for Black Americans who have been undervalued, to say the least, and um, treated awfully, um, you know, not just uh, through awful laws and a system that never wanted them to succeed, obviously following the great sin, original sin of America, slavery, Jim Crow laws, um, you know, public lynchings, um, significant ceilings to their ability to be successful. Uh, generation upon generation of folks who have had encounters with authority, including the police, um, that have been, um, you know, simply awful throughout the years. And many of us in the privileged side of America, including myself, um, get to walk around in a very, very different world with a very, very different experience. And so, um, you know, the fact that we didn't cover it, um, was something that we're actually going to talk about pretty early in this, uh, in this episode, but, um, we thought it was important, you know, to re to record again, another episode with Andre and, uh, wonderfully his, his, uh, girlfriend, Jessica decided to join as well. Um, and we have a good long conversation about the experience of, you know, living in, uh, breathing, um, as a black person in America and obviously their response and everyone's response to, uh, um, the police and sort of what's been happening since then. Um, I really hope that you find this conversation to be valuable. I hope you take the time to listen to it and that you, um, uh, um, you know, simply consider this to be another important conversation that folks uh, really need to be having right now. Um, in any case, um, I do hope you're well. Um, I want to get straight to this episode. Um, as always, if you'd like to reach me, my email address is josh at perryveritas.com. Uh, so feel free to reach out to me there. 
you have any responses to this episode, want to join the conversation in any way. Um, and uh, please like and you know share uh, this podcast with uh, everyone you can. And um, I do hope everyone is being safe out there, um, not just with the ongoing pandemic that uh, continues to put our world in a very strange place, but then obviously in also the protests and um, you know what you yourself are feeling the need to do. Um, in light of all that's going on. So look, without further ado, let's get to this episode. Really hope you enjoy it. Um, thank you again so much to Andre and Jessica who put themselves out there and shared their experience. And, um, you know, uh, I learned a lot from the conversation and I hope you will too. Uh, so let's roll the tape. Roll it. So what's up, Andre? What's up, Jessica? Um, Hi. Obviously, How's it going? Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Um, uh, Andre, I didn't expect to be recording an episode with you this quickly after our first episode. Yeah. And, yeah. A uh, lot's happened in a short time. I would say so. I would say so. Um, and, and I typically begin these conversations with just kind of a check-in and I feel like it's important to do that, especially now. Um, but, uh, you know, it feels kind of trite even just fucking asking it, you know, obviously. So I, I'm just going to just go ahead and ask it. Um, you know, how are you doing? It's, uh, it's, it's weird out here. It's definitely weird. Uh, it's almost like everyone's got an anxiety disorder right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it was yeah. already a little, uh, stressful for me, um, just being, you know, on the front line cause I'm a nurse practitioner. So, um, I mean, the COVID crisis obviously was already jarring and, you know, a lot of adjustment and, um, and now with everything going on, it's definitely, um. A little overwhelming at times. Uh, Dre knows sometimes I just have to, I have set times during the week where I check in with the news and then other times where I'm like, okay, I can't. <laughs> it's just check right it's, back it's out. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have to. You definitely have to. Yeah. And then, and then there are times when the news just kind of rips you uh, off the couch, right? And kind of puts you in front of the television and you just have to watch it. Um, yeah. That's definitely been the experience. I mean, as awful as COVID 19 has been. And as much as I was kind of following the news in the beginning, I had really gotten myself into a little pattern here of just like bare, bare, minimal news interactions. And then all of a sudden the whole world blew up. So ripped right off the couch on that one. Yeah, definitely. No <laughs> um, so, I'm, I mean, look, at there's there's a lot to talk about. Um, there's obviously a lot to dig in. Dig in. I mean, Jessica, I'm I'm curious in terms of you know, what your experience has been at work, um, you know, how folks kind of respond to you, obviously, as a, um, you know, nurse practitioner and um, a health worker right now, working on the front lines of COVID as everybody is. And then all of a sudden, you know, something comes into down the news pike. And next thing you know, um, you know, we, it gets uh, real obvious how folks in this country don't appreciate, you know, you or Andre or uh, any African Americans for what they do as part of as part of our nation. So um, I would imagine that that kind of thing can be really emotional. So a part of me wants to just dive into that right quick, and then maybe mm -hmm. let's pull back and talk about the overall experience. So is anything there resonating with you? I mean, what's your experience been between both the COVID and now? You know, the George Floyd. Um, uh, you know, I don't even know what to call it. Uh, protests <laughs> well that are going on in this nation. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, of course, at work and, you know, working in healthcare, um, there has not been a lot of discussion about what's 
been going on recently. And I think a lot of that just has to do with the fear of, you know, potentially either being insensitive or not knowing what to say or, you know, saying the wrong thing accidentally or how someone might respond or what someone's feelings are. Um, But I did have an interesting conversation with one of my colleagues, well, two of my colleagues earlier, and um, one is actually expecting, um, I think that's his second child. Um, Obviously, we'll leave out names. And he, it was interesting because he asked the question um, how he should even approach the discussion of race with his child. And he wasn't certain whether, you know, you should discuss it and kind of get ahead of it or in attempting to get ahead of it, are you in a way planting a seed or an idea that may not have even been there to begin with and may not have been even been there, you know, for quite some time. Um, and mm-hmm. I don't obviously know the answer to that, but what was interesting is I actually, it made me think, and I feel like for as long as I can remember, I've always viewed or went through life reminding myself that I am an African-American woman in America. And I think a lot of that just has to do with that kind of being, you know, drilled into your head from your family, or at least my family members from a very, very, very young age. Um, Obviously, it's something that needs to be discussed. But it's interesting, because in a lot of ways, it definitely created insecurities growing up and even insecurities that I still have to deal with now Um, from, you know, being a frontline worker and even walking into a room and wondering whether the person may not think I'm skilled or professional or, you know, uh, I guess, you know, like, you know, appropriate to treat them. I mean, I've, I've definitely been in, not often, but definitely been in situations where um, I have uh, had patients declined for, <laughs> to have me as a provider for, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's hard. You don't, you try not to think about yeah. it, but yeah, it is something that I just, unfortunately, you know, once the idea is there, you, yeah, I can't turn it off. So. Jessica, I mean, I'll tell you, no, yeah, I mean, obviously, we're going to, you know, get into all of this and more. Um, I, you know, I tell you what's, what's really striking me off of what you said just now. Um, So a number of weeks ago, Andre and I, you know, recorded, you know, sort of my first episode with a, with a, with a guest um, for this podcast. And we talked for, you know, something like two hours. And not once in the entire conversation did it come up that growing up African-American was a part of what, you know, contributes to serious mental health challenges and inner turmoil, such as depression and especially anxiety. Um, And, uh, you know, what's what's really interesting is since that episode came out, man, I was walking around like kind of proud of the fact that the fact that Andre's black didn't come up once during the episode. I was like, check me out like a post-racial white guy where one of my best friends is a black guy and it's never been an issue between us. And I'm like online dating and mostly talking to non-white girls and flirting with, you know, African-American women and all kinds of stuff and patting myself on the back. 
um, walking around in this kind of like post-racial bubble. And, and one, one of the things that this did to me immediately was rip me out of that. Um, it just became really obvious really quick that there's no such thing as post-racial. And like, how dare I walk around in that bubble? And, you know, we had a chance, like I had a chance to bring that up with, with Andre, you know, during the conversation. And because there was a part, Trey, I don't know how many times listened to the episode. I listened to it like 37 times. But, um, <laughs> but you know, there's a part where you're like, you know, and also socioeconomic reasons. And I just let it, I just let it go. And I have to say, like, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry about that um, because it's no, a huge no part of your, I, no, to, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, it, it's such a huge part of your experience. And um, I kind of like allowed it to skip and have allowed myself to walk around as if, as if you could ever be in a post-racial bubble. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah, you know, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm kind it, of ashamed. It, you know, it's weird. But, it's like uh, this double-sided thing because basically society tells you you're not allowed to factor that in as, as part of it anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? So you kind of, I can convince myself it's not part of it. It's like right. sometimes even sometimes like they're like uh, not that that was a racist situation, but just in life, like even if a racist situation happens, most of the time you don't realize it in the moment. You kind of have right. to like think about it for a while. You're like, was that? Nah. Cause you don't want to like <laughs> right. jump to that conclusion. But of course, like 99% of the times, like that's the only answer that makes sense. Right. You know? so right. It's like a, a wall you can't get over or around anyway. So it's kind of like you end up ignoring it. Yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, a lot of, I wonder, Jessica, uh, how you'd feel about this, but one of the things I've heard a lot of like pediatric oncologists say is that, you know, kids who are born with cancer very young don't know how much pain they're in because they're so used to it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, that's one of the things that's very interesting is that, you know, folks around them in many ways suffer in emotional ways that they might not be suffering because it's the only reality they know. Yeah. Um, Which is uh, a pretty awful thought, you know? Um, And yet like for me, you know, I do remember the first time that I understood that I was Jewish and that being Jewish made me different. But the difference between me and both of you is that like I could hide it if I want to, <laughs> you know, really easily. Um, and uh, and you guys just can't. So I'm wondering, Jessica, like when was the first time for you? Can you remember when it was just like, yeah, no, I'm definitely different. And um, it's having an effect on how people react to me. Do you remember when the first time was, or is it so ingrained that you um, don't even remember? I honestly think it's so ingrained. I, I don't remember. I just, of course, you know, always growing up, I was, you know, in Catholic school and, you know, the particular schools that I just so happened to attend, I was always the one or two black kids in the class. So when you walk yeah. in there, you know, it's obvious that, okay, I think I'm the only black person here. So that's obvious. Even when you're young, if, even if you don't fully understand what that means or, you know, even understanding whether someone thinks that's a good thing or a bad thing, you don't know. Obviously, you're, you're aware that, okay, I'm the only one that looks like me. Um, but, yeah, I think it's just, like I said earlier, just always been been there. And, and you do your, you know, you get older, you're aware of it, you, you know, shut it off and try not to let it, you know, disrupt you from, you know, either 
achieving your goals, doing things that make you happy, or even, you know, let it affect my professional life. But um, yeah, it's always, it's always obviously there. It's always there. Yeah. What about you, Dre? Oh, it's interesting. Uh, in one way, just like Jessica was always there, but the most jarring revelation was when I moved from the, uh, New York City to, uh, well, I want to say upstate, but it's not really upstate, but Orange County. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it just feels upstate when you come from New York, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It's upstate. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I got called every name in a book. And I'm, I'm a little kid. You know, like, I had to look up some of these names. It's like not just the N word. They got some other names up here that you're just like, what, what, what does that even mean? <laughs> and like just rattle them off. And you, I literally had to look them up. It was like, I won't, won't say them all because it's kind of like ridiculous. But yeah, uh, yeah and it's like, we're little kids. Like, what is, what's the instant, instant hate? It's like, on one hand, you're just like, oh, it's so picturesque out here. You know, there's trees and there's nature. And then it's like, you know, go home, you, you know. <laughs> so that and, was, and that was like immediately just jarring. And they didn't have the internet back then. So there's really only a couple of places where they could be getting those words. Yeah. And it's not online. Yeah. Sure. You know, it's from their parents. Yeah. <laughs> Mom and dad and then your, yeah. your buddies. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, and most of those were and most of those were adults telling telling us that too. It wasn't the kids was a whole other issue. Yeah, Yeah. what were you gonna say, Jessica? Yeah, I was actually. I remember a story. I think I must have. I think I was a teenager at this time, and I won't say what school I was in at this time. Um, And obviously, I won't mention any names. But I remember there was a kid who was a friend of mine, um, not a close friend, but obviously, you know, a friend of mine nonetheless. And um, we were both waiting outside uh, the our classroom. Uh, we had a class that so was going to start probably in like five or 10 minutes. Uh, anyways, he wanted to race down the hall. And and I said, no, I don't think we should be racing. And he's just like, come on, let's race. Are you scared? I'll beat you. And I was like, okay, fine, let's race. So we raced down the hall and I beat him. So I said, see, haha, I beat you. And he said to me, well, you only beat me because you're black and black people naturally do bad things. So they can naturally run faster than everybody else. What the fuck? And, yeah, and we were, I think I was probably like 13 or 14 and he was around my age too. And it, what's interesting Ooh. is, yeah, it was very, I don't even think, I, I don't think I said anything after that. I was just kind of very quiet. Yeah. Um, what's even more interesting, and obviously there's no way for me to know this. I'm pretty certain that kid does not remember saying that, but yeah. I will never forget a comment like that. That's you understand? And I, under- even though I was young, I understood that there's less chance that he actually put that thought on his own. And obviously, it was probably something that was just taught. Yeah, he practically gave yeah. you like, the whole TED <laughs> this talk. Was, this was like, <laughs> I know. I was just like, well, you know. Black people naturally do bad things. So genetically, of course, you're going to be faster than everybody. Yeah. I was just kind of like, what? But what do you, I, mean, I mean, he said that he said that like he was expecting to lose. And he was just, you know, he was just you were just going to prove his theory. Like he had that ready to go. I, apparently, what, I know. I was actually so shocked. <laughs> of course, yeah. Are you know, the the um the optimist in me is hoping that he doesn't remember saying it to you because he's so ashamed of it that his better kind of angels in his in his brain just kind of went in there and said let's just go ahead and clean this 
so yeah. that you can, you know, see the good side in you. And then the the pessimist in me thinks he doesn't remember it because he's just said that shit so many fucking times. I know. Yeah, he can't yeah. possibly, yeah. And he can't possibly remember that particular instant, you know? Yeah. I know. <laughs> God. Yeah. God. So, uh, so that, I mean, that that's not like the first time that you noticed that um, um, that folks were reacting that way. No, not at all. I mean, um, from uh, we lived in. I was born in Brooklyn. When we moved yeah. to Queens, um, I mean, we were called the N word every neighborhood we arrived in um, by the kids, the parent. I mean, it wasn't anything. It was weird because when we would when you hear it. And even at that uh-huh. age, it wasn't upsetting. I don't ever remember being upset. I don't even think I remember being sad. Maybe I could have been. Um, but I think it was more, well, I guess that's what I expected, which is also kind of sad. But hmm. because I was reminded or told from a very young age, like, Keep in mind, you know, you are, I guess, you know, an African-American in America. So when somebody says the N-word or, you know, even when I'm a child and I don't react, I don't cry. I never remember running to my mother and saying, this person called me the N-word. It was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, we were warned or told, I guess. Yeah. 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 Uh, God. Some, and, then, and then when these things happen too, you kind of like look around and there's like no allies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, no, there's no one who's going to do anything to like help in that situation. Like no authority. How is that? Back. How is that? Like how how is that possible? Yeah, I mean, it, it, I always say this: like, there's like we we're talking this way, but there's sort of like levels to racism. So like people get offended if you say, "Oh, you're racist," because they think you mean one kind, like the kind that wants to go out there and like string them up or whatever. And yeah, that's one kind of racist, but this goes all the way down from that extreme to, oh, you know, they're fine, but, you know, uh, you know, don't let them marry my daughter. Right. Or, you know, I can't side with them against my own kind, even if my own kind is wrong. So a lot of people right. are kind of like on that bottom tier where it's just like they don't necessarily hate you, but you're not equal either. And they're not going to stick their neck out to protect you from one of their right. own. Right. You know, right. Just or, you know, pieces there. Right. Or, you know, I, I, uh, I don't have any issues with African American, but I'm going to go ahead and vote for a racist president because <laughs> I think sure. he'll do better for my taxes. For sure. Yeah. For sure. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. hey, I, I'm your ally, but by the way, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm voting yeah. my taxes. <laughs> as long as it doesn't affect me at all, you can have whatever you want. Like, <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. Oh my God. Um, all right, so it so you know it's pretty obvious to both of you early on that that there's stuff kind of going on here. When does it kind of flip to your frontal lobe, meaning that like when do you become like consciously aware of it, and then what's your reaction like in other words, like for me, like the whole you can't tell that I'm Jewish thing impacted me when I was younger and and I got asked Andre, I got a little militant I got kind of i became a little bit of a militant jew there for for a minute, and uh there was a time when you know I would. I was I was going to Orange County Community College and there was, I think, a KKK rally or some dude put up some kind of anti-Semitic something or other. And so I chose to start wearing a yarmulke around campus and like a big star of David, 
you know, I, and then let's look at my face like who wants to fight, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, and that was me just sort of saying, OK, well, if this is what it's going to be. Then I'm going to stand out um, yeah. and I'm going to make sure that everyone knows that, like, I'm Jewish. Meanwhile, it's fucking Orange County. They don't even know what a yarmulke is. You know, like <laughs> they didn't tell them anything, you know, but uh, but that's where kind of where I was at in my head. So I, I went like forceful on that, you know, but still knowing that I could just take it off and you know, now, now I'm not Jewish anymore. Right. So what happened with you guys? Like when it started really getting into your consciousness, how did you respond? Um, Jessica, you want to go first? Andre, I'm just going to well, have Jessica go first. Well, so um, <laughs> I think music played such a big part in my life that yeah. I think it kind of helped me to respond once you're aware of actually what's going on. Because at that point, my brothers and I, I mean, my oldest brother played the violin and viola and the second oldest played the violin and I played the cello. So we um, we were known as the constant family string trio and we started play, started out playing in the subway, you know, Grand Central Station and Washington mm. Square Park. And then before you know it, you know, Juilliard, Manus, you know, uh, Kennedy Center, Lincoln Center, Carnegie Hall, uh, getting into Juilliard. So it, it was such a big part of our lives. That at that mm -hmm. point, it became, oh, my God, look at this, these amazing kids who are, you know, you know, their parents immigrated from Haiti. And, you know, we had articles that would, you know, kind of put us on the map and say, hey, listen, you know, these black kids, they're doing such amazing things. They're not just necessarily out there, you know. Back in the 90s, the thing was, you know, if you were young and African-American, the idea was just like, oh, you know, do you really ever hear stories about young African-American kids, you know, playing classical music and playing in the train and performing here and performing there? Mm -hmm. So that's when we, it kind of turned around for at least me. And I, don't, I can't obviously speak for my brothers, but I kind of was like, like, like you, it's like, okay, um, yeah, I'm here. I'm, I can't change it. So I'm, I'm going to own it and do my best to not make it feel like, make me feel insecure, I guess. Is that's the way I can put it. Yeah. And there's kind of a weird racism sort of laden up in that reaction to you guys and your talent. Right. Yeah. I mean, in a, in a way it's almost like you're, you're kind of like, um, you know, the Williams sisters of classical music. Exactly. Um, <laughs> right. Like, you know, oh my gosh, look how talented they are. Like, dude, what did you just fucking say? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. And there's that uh, weird pressure where it's like, oh, you got to represent the culture. It's like all on your shoulders. Yeah. You oh. made it this far. And now, you know, you can't, you can't mess anything up in life because there's like a magnifying glass on you. Right, 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 right. So now, again, also the Williams' sisters, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, exactly what that is. Um, as soon as they, you know, get into an argument with, uh, the ump, um, or whatever they call it in tennis, it's look at this, you know, black woman who can't control her tempo, her temper. And meanwhile, like some of the most famous tennis players of all time were just, I mean, John McEnroe, come on. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's all they did. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's just, you know, it's just ridiculous. So did you, I mean, you obviously found that on you too. I mean, compliments that kind of were sort of like, you know what? I'm not so comfortable with that compliment, sir. <laughs> uh, I, it's weird because when it's happening, I guess you, you're not thinking about that. When it's happening, it's it's kind of like finally somebody can see me for more than just like 
the color of my skin, if that makes any sense. Cause it's kind of like, right. yeah, they're so amazing. They're so talented. And it's like, to me, if that's the first word out of your mouth, I feel like that's a victory because yeah. up until that point I've carried, okay, I'm going to walk into a room and they're going to from right from the door. They're going to notice I'm an African-American woman. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So if yeah. it's, if it's yeah. like, Oh my God, you're amazing. You're so talented. Where did you go to school before there's any, you know, even mention of, you know, the color of my skin. I think that's like a win. Cause it's kind of uh, yeah. like, it's kind of like music broke that barrier. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a ton of sense. You know, I mean, what do you, it's that, I mean, gosh, I've, I've had people say to me before something mm-hmm. like, you know, Oh, you're Jewish, but you're so nice. Somebody once said wow. that. Somebody wow. once said that to me. Yeah. And in that moment, I, I took it as, okay, um, um, yeah. I didn't really have anything to say to that. But you just kind of pointed something out there that I didn't have any kind of perspective to see in that space, which is that was actually an opening for me to kind of jump in there and be like, you know, there's a lot more of us that are kind of nice. Have you ever heard of a nice Jewish boy? I mean, she's smart. That's a thing. She's, she's smarter than both of us in that respect. I'm saying. Yeah. I'm saying that's a Because that's I, I would always get the uh, stupid, uh, like, oh, you're so well-spoken, which would just perplex the hell out of me. I'm like, why wouldn't I be? Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Wait, you, you have philosophical thoughts? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Jesus. So what about you, Dre? I mean, uh, how did you, I mean, I was there for it for a lot of it, but, uh, but still, I mean, how did you react and respond to a lot of that stuff? What did you, what did you do? Um, I'm not really like a person who, uh, tries to like take down the system or to prove myself against the system either. I'm just kind of like it go internal. That's sort of my self-defense mechanism for everything. Uh, you know, if I'm confronted, I'll deal with it like head on. If it passes like a certain threshold, whatever that threshold is in my mind, I'm like a big ground stander. Like, you know, I'm not really going to try to advance the combat, but if they cross a certain line, that's when I'm like, no, you took it too far. Yeah. You know, what's verbal that could get physical, that could get anything, but. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. You and I have meditated together and fought some demons together, and uh, none of them have been racist. True, true, true. You, you know what I mean? Like, uh, like you know, that it's it's just interesting that that whole world, you know, that we were in, whether it was real or we created it or some kind of version of both, um, you know, in a, in an interesting way. As much as there was still like a a huge amount of evil as we kind of like were in it there none of it was none of it was racist right i mean it's still it's still a fascinating yeah, state. It, it's a, a wholly uh human created concept yeah you know yeah racism literally makes everybody stupid even if you're not racist because you yeah. have to discuss something that's not even real real yeah like, Every every human on the planet, no matter what your skin color is, you're ninety nine point five percent the same. Yeah, there's yeah. only like point five percent wiggle room in that. We're exactly the same. The rest of it is just decoration, and then yeah. just yeah. for that little bit of decoration, like you know, people lose their lives and their livelihood. That's ultimately why I walked away from religion. By the way, that that exact argument. Um, I think I told you about this. I mean. You know, the, the rabbis in the Talmud asked the question, why do we have the book of Genesis? And um, because the Jewish story doesn't begin till Exodus, you know, with Moses. 
uh, Genesis is more of the human story. And that's what the rabbis answered because the human story comes first. And if we forget that, if we put our Jewish or Israelite identities in front of the human identity, then it's all pointless and we might as well just walk away from it all. And that's what I think has happened um, is that at least in my faith, pretty much everyone across the board has put their Jewish identity in front of their human identity. And that's why you get shit like identity politics, you know, a huge percentage of Jewish people voting president based off of how that president relates to Israel, which is not our country at all. You know, like we live in America. I have family in Israel, so I care about it over there. But any American president I'm voting for, I'm voting because of American reasons. Right. I mean, that's kind of what we're supposed to be doing. Um, And so I I just felt like walking away from it is probably the most Jewish thing I can do. And I'm also cognizant of the fact that um, that's a that's a perspective of privilege that I get to make because of my because of my privilege, you know. Um, And uh, I mean, you guys don't get to make that argument in the same way, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't you can't walk away from it. Yeah, um, even if there's elements within it you don't like. Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, so, okay, how did this follow you? You know, uh, Jessica, this is the first time I'm I'm meeting you. Um, so I don't you know know any of your backstory aside from you're an amazing human being that's <laughs> captured you know Andre's heart. Um, and, uh, but beyond that, you know, how did, uh, you know, I want to get into the police like soon, but before that, you know, how did this stuff sort of impact your identity getting older? I mean, how has it followed you into adulthood? It, um, it impacted me and impacted me in so many ways. Um, one of the major ways is, um, I actually developed an eating disorder. So, you know, it's, it's. Just purely out of wanting to look a certain way. Right. And I think it, it, it was, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> you know, want, I don't know. I don't even know what to say about it. I, th- I think it was wanting to look a certain way. Because, I've heard, I've like heard I this said, story. Yeah, yeah, like, like I said, it, you know, it goes from you being aware that, okay, yes, I am different and wanting to be like everybody else that I was around. And it just, yeah, at some point I think I struggled with an eating disorder, but well, it's, it's weird because an eating disorder, it's kind of like something that you struggle with most of the times, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that was one of the major things that, that came out of it was developing an eating disorder in an attempt to, look visually a certain way. Right. Yeah. Right. There's um there's a certain body type that a person is supposed to have, I guess. Yes. yes. Um and here I am a, a white man trying to um <laughs> express it. Um but it's a certain body type that uh that you're supposed to have and um you know not every person can naturally have that body type. Yeah. And you know the way we project that is just completely awful. Um do you, I mean, do you want to talk about this a little bit more? Do you, do you mind if I ask how deep that went for you? Um, it was interesting. Uh, I think, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't even know. It's, it's been so long that, um, yeah, yeah I just, I, I don't, it was, was it, it was like, it... no matter what you did, like every time I looked in the mirror, like I just wasn't there yet. 
Right. Right. And right. and 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 I'm sure a lot of black women can relate not only to physically how your body looks, but also, you know, hair is a big uh, thing mm-hmm. in the African American community, and so even that was is like a whole other issue because, you know, the terms good hair versus bad hair, kinky hair, mm-hmm. this and that. That's so it one. all just it all just played a, a, a huge. Uh, role and not necessarily uh, positively. <laughs> Is that one of those things that you kind of catch it from both ends? Yeah. You know, like I remember with, um, so in the Jewish world, um, there's kind of two ideals in terms of what a body type is supposed to be. And there's actually a Yiddish word for both. One is uh, softik and one is svelte. Uh, softik means soft and curvy and svelte means like in shape and athletic. And, um, and actually, if you're one, you're supposed to be the other. And if you're the other, you're supposed to be back at the other one. So I literally have gone like two months and like, you know, been in my grandparents' kitchen, have them say, you're looking too skinny. And then a month later, it's, you could, lo- you could lose a few pounds. And it's like, where, where do you want me to be at? It's yeah. a, literally a seven pound difference. I don't know what you want from me, you know? Um, and so that's an interesting kind of dynamic. And I, that's as a man, you know, it's way different as a woman. So did you find that coming kind of both ways there? Uh, definitely. I definitely did. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a no-win situation. Yeah, yeah. Um, what about you, Dre? Uh, how did it follow me around? It's weird. I have this weird habit of uh, almost forgetting that racism exists because, like, <laughs> and then it'll get slapped like violently in my face. And you're like, oh yeah, that that thing. <laughs> you're like perplexed, yeah. like you're walking, literally just you know walking home or something like that. And like walking now, and then the cop pulls you over, and you're like, "How is a cop pulling me over when I'm walking? What am I speeding?" speeding. (laughs) You know, and I've had days where I will get stopped by multiple police on the same short stretch of road, and it's just like, "Come on, like, (laughs) don't they know you by now?" (laughs) That's what I'm saying. Like, don't you guys talk to each other? You don't recognize my face. Like, I don't understand what's happening here. You know, or, or, uh, you know, I won't name the company, but when I was in retail and I'm an assistant manager and, you know, you have one or two employees that like, no matter what, you know, orders you give them, they're not going to carry it around. It's a big deal. And finally, just like, what is your issue with me? And I literally had more than one of them blow up at me. And it's because you're, I won't say the word, but called me N word, like in front of everybody. And there's like gas, but that's, that's about it. You know? And it's just what like, do you oh, do? oh, that thing I should have guessed because nothing else made any logical sense. <laughs> it's like, so when the logic just falls away, you kind of like, no, it's like, oh, okay, it's that, it's that racism thing again. Okay, we're, we're, we're still doing that. Okay. Do they get fired when that happens? No. <laughs> no? <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. You can use the N-word at a retail store and then still just have that job? Oh, sure. Wow. Sure. It's like a, you know, a write-up, maybe. Just, oh my God. <laughs> I mean, that's... that's uh, yeah, the, me- the media makes it seem like there's consequences because occasionally like someone at like a Walmart or something will get caught like on the camera. But uh, I, I guess if you don't have that video and it doesn't get picked up by the press, nothing's really going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, how much is uh, the George, you know, George Floyd video have to do with? I mean, if that if that man wasn't caught on video, nothing would be happening right now. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. Uh, often these things are caught on video, and still nothing happens. So, and we're it's we're still, still waiting. For, we're still waiting for nothing to happen with this. So, it takes them so long to 
press charges and then so long to uh, put anybody actually under arrest. And we're still waiting. Like uh, we already know what the next step is that he's likely not going to get any convictions or yeah. if there are any convictions, it'll be a slap on the wrist. And, you know, these yep. politicians do these things inch by inch waiting to see, okay, are you guys going to stop protesting yet? And yeah. this time I think the answer is no, we're not. We know this game already. You've been doing it for hundreds of years now. We're not going to leave the streets. Everybody's upset, not just black people. Yeah. Yeah. No, we're, we're, we're done. Everyone's done. Um, everyone's done with it. So let's, let's start getting into the police now. Um, and I think authority in general, right? Um, because it's not, it's not just them. So um, uh, you mind if I start with a quick story? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, told, I told Andre this story um, earlier. So back when we were in high school, there was this one night where um, Andre and I needed to meet up like after curfew. <clears throat> and um, I don't know. Have you remembered this since I reminded you, Dre? No, I, I don't remember at all, which is terrible. But yeah. yeah, it was like really late at night. And basically the deal was, was that I was going to sneak out of my house after my parents went to sleep and everybody was asleep. And I was going to go walk to downtown Goshen where um, our friend Joe was going to come pick me up. And he was going to pick me up essentially between 1230 and two or something like that. Um, so I just needed to get there by 1230 and just wait. And I was going to meet him at the at what's called the monument, what we kind of call the monument, which is the center of town, center square, right in the center of everything. So it's, you know, 1230 at night. I walk down. I'm probably 16. Um, so, you know, just a sketchy looking, um, tall, uh, you know, white kid. Um, late at night, there's it's Goshen, New York. So there's literally nobody, nobody driving around. And I walk to the monument. And I just plop down kind of by the side of the road and I wait for Joe for like two hours until he finally gets there. There's a police officer that notices me, I think, passes me several times in his car, just drives by maybe three or four times, kind of slowing down, looking at me and just moving on. And I'll tell you what's interesting in terms of what happened there. Uh, nothing, nothing happened. Nothing happened whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I said just before, like, I was really like amazed. I was like, nothing, nothing happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nothing whatsoever. Yeah, I just waited there for two hours and then Joe got there and picked me up and brought me to Andre's place and we hung out and then I went back home and literally nothing happened to me. I was fine. Yeah, I've been pulled over by police officers multiple times. Nothing's happened ever. They give me a ticket and they drive away. Um, and that's how it goes. I mean, I, I feel a little nervous paying when I see a cop because then it makes me feel like I'm doing something wrong always. Um, but it's not the same nervous pain because it's like, I'm probably doing something wrong. If he pulls me over and if he pulls me over, it's always because I've been doing something wrong. Always. <laughs> it's never not because of that. Meanwhile, right? like for us, it's like doing nothing, but they need ID. They need to do a pat down. It's like a whole song. And yeah. Dance. Yeah. So walk me back. I mean, what's the, what's your first kind of interaction with this? How does it, how does it go? Oh, the Jessica, first you want to eat? Oh, oh. Yeah, well, yeah, Jessica, you start and then Dre. Well, I've actually, um, you know, I have to say I've never actually um, been in any situation where, you know, it's going to sound crazy where I've like either been pulled over or like the cop is looking at me suspiciously or anything like that. But I will say this. I have gone through life with the voice in my head saying, no, you can't do that. Or before I do something, I have to think of the 15, 20 different ways that this could go wrong. Why? Yeah. Because, Jessica, 
you are African American. <laughs> you know, you're a black woman in America. So even if this goes slightly wrong, this could be like major for you just because of who you are. So I right. have operated and gone through life like that. I mean, I even remember when I'm, you know, a young kid asking, you know, my mom or my parents or my grandparents or whoever, you know, the parental figure is in, around at that moment. Oh, I want to do this. And they're like, no, you can't do that. And I'm like, why not? Well, because yeah. this can happen and then you could get in trouble. And I'm like, but so-and-so is doing that. And like most of the times the answer is, well, Jessica, so-and-so is Caucasian. You are not. So you yeah, can't yeah, do yeah. that. I'm, I'm, I kid you not, that sounds, I don't know if you've <laughs> ever, but yes, this has been told all to me a million times. So when you hear that from a young age, that's kind of how I go through life. <laughs> Yeah, I've never, I've never had that happen to me before. I've heard stories about like colleges that only accepted a certain amount of Jewish people over time. Um, I've heard things like that, but by the time I was growing up, those things pretty much didn't exist. I remember, um, it was up in Northern California before marijuana was legal, uh, for one of my siblings' weddings. And, um, a friend of hers was there and, and her friend's husband, um, really nice guy is African American and a bunch of folks were standing outside sharing a joint, Northern California, just right there in public. It's not a problem. Even when it was illegal in Northern California, white people felt fine doing that. And when he, when he got offered the joint and he would have accepted it happily if we were inside and he said, no, thank you. Exactly. And, and, and I mean, for real. And then we were like, I, I did. I mean, I, I looked at him. I was like, how come? I thought you, I thought you smoked. He was like, Joshua. <laughs> he was like, I am, he was like, I am a black man. I can't be caught smoking. I was like, oh, fuck. That's right. I'm sorry. Yeah, I forgot about that. Oh, my God. Yeah, same thing with you, Dre? Uh, my, my first uh, crazy police encounter wasn't actually mine. It was actually just seeing a, a grown-up person when I was a kid in the city getting beat by a cop. Getting so that, beat by a cop. Yeah, yeah. So, of course, I didn't know what what it was all about or whatever. But it, to, to my eye, it looked like the person hadn't done anything wrong except for maybe talking loudly or something like that. And I do remember there was no arrest involved or anything like that. It was just like, you know, with the nightstick. And then so it's just like, oh, all the stuff my mom's been telling me about is not BS. This is like for real. This is really going down right now. And, and you were how old for this? Uh, when I was in, I was probably like second grade, third grade, something like that. Jesus. What were you saying, Jessica? No, I was saying, and even, you know, you know, me not ever really being pulled over by a cop. Don't misunderstand. I've run the scenario through my head more than a hundred yeah, times. Exactly what I'm going to do, how I'm going to do it. No. And that's not me exaggerating. Like, okay, Jessica, if you get run, if you get pulled over by a cop, what are you going to do? Hi, okay, you know, kind of like, okay, it's in the glove department. I'm going to go get it. <laughs> glove department, sorry. I'm going to go get it. All right, license. Yeah. All right, Jessica, don't touch anything. No, it's like, oh, man. Yeah, and if it's like at night, I'm always like, make sure you keep that lab coat on until you get home. Yeah. <laughs> so they yeah. know you're a medical professional. Or, or yeah. a, you know, sometimes in my head I think, okay, should I like – Am I on the phone with somebody? Should I make a phone call in the meanwhile? If you know when they step away, because you know they take your license into the car. I'm like, should I make a phone call and have somebody on just in case something happens to me? Yes. You know, especially like yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm young, a girl by driving by myself. You know, who know? I don't know. 
I don't know. <laughs> no, that's yeah, exactly uh, right. A black woman has like twice the worries. <laughs> when um when I get pulled over by a police officer, I usually have my um my uh my license and my wallet in my back pocket and I reach in and get it out and get it ready for him before he comes. And I don't actually put my hand on the steering wheel at all. Like that, I mean, like I'm, I want to know what the routine is. Cause I don't think I even know it. I'm imagining that your routine, Jessica is something like a, my hands are on the steering wheel, right? You don't want your head going from side to side so that anyone thinks you're reaching for anything. And then when they come up, you like are narrating every movement. Yeah. Right. So I'm going to, <laughs> right. Is yeah. that it? Yes. <laughs> And most important, yeah. slow movement, Jessica. Don't, because sometimes I get, I'll get nervous and, you know, oh, wait, let me go get it. And, you know, so I have to remind myself, Jessica, okay, slow movements, don't do anything too rapidly. Right. 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 The other thing about dealing with the police, just in any terms, it's like the constant power play they're doing and the humiliation part of it. You know, because yeah. it's like no matter what you do, uh, you're told you have to be yes, sir, no, sir. And nothing you do is good enough. It doesn't matter how respectful you are or whatever. They still got to like, kind of like put that dig in to let you know that, you know, they can do whatever they want. Right. Right. And and if you don't say yes, sir, no, sir, then they, they might actually just arrest you right then and exactly. there. Yeah. And sometimes you just still get arrested for nothing or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's and the thing that, all my you interactions know, are pretty, pretty mild, obviously compared to, you know, things that other people have to deal with. Weren't you surrounded once as a walker? Didn't you have like a cop in front of you and a cop behind you completely surrounded by like a handful of cops just walking? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and that. what was funny was that happened to uh, my brother and a couple other guys in my neighborhood because they were passing around some sketch of some guy they were looking for. There was such a uh, generic black man sketch that when they showed it to us, we each had a moment of doubt, like that kind of does look like me. <laughs> <laughs> just because it was just generic like someone just said just draw a black guy like <laughs> like God. i don't know that could be me <laughs> Jesus. Uh, uh yeah i forget which uh which comedian makes that joke i think is it dave Chappelle? i forget i forget which but there's some joke about like you know the police game would start listening and it's like looking for a black man uh between four seven and six three yeah <laughs> <laughs> Just say we're looking for a black man. Yeah. Um, God. Um, and, and you're right. You know, like there's the obviously the instances of uh, awful police brutality. Um, but what happens in between there is the type of emotional brutality that um, is probably just as harmful. Right. I mean, the, the long, the long, slow looks, the intimidating postures, all that stuff. Um, how much does that factor in into what your guys' experiences have been? Not, it's, it's not too frequent, but like, you know, <laughs> I guess compared to like white people, it's very frequent, but compared to like other black people, I've been pretty, pretty lucky. Yeah, know? me too. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, for me, it's sort of the same, it's kind of like the same thing over and over. It's just getting stopped for no reason. Let me see your ID. Uh, what are you doing here? You know, and it's just like, why, you know, you let the other people ahead of me go <laughs> the people behind me go <laughs> whatever the right. situation may be it's just like there's clearly nothing happening at this point right. you might as well say i've been upstate my whole life it's like you probably know me by now so like what what exactly is the point you are a walker you 
time. <laughs> you literally move with your body and your face for everyone to see slowly down the street for, <laughs> you know, there's no reason why everybody shouldn't know who you are. Yeah. Yeah. At least just know the pattern. Like, oh yeah, he walks up and down this road all day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's crazy. Who knows? Who knows? It, it's crazy. just the, the thing is, you know, that, someone one of these cops who've killed someone or attacked someone had to have started with what they do to someone like me you know they every crime starts very small you see what you can get away with and then right. it escalates and it escalates and no one does anything and it escalates more and no one does anything and then the next thing you know you're cracking someone's skull in right and then still no one does anything what do you think it is you know how do we explain this in terms of what what gives them, is it just authority, you know, power, what's, what's the phrase, uh, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. Is that just what that is? Are, are these people, you know, straight up racist and they, um, and they went to become police officers because they're racist or, you know, is there something about just who they are and the way they're interacting and how their brains are built that, you know, this type of aggression builds up slowly through time and then, awful things happen. Like what's going on there? I, yeah. I honestly, I don't know. I don't, I don't have the answer. <laughs> I feel like it's, it's uh, almost, of course there's going to be some racist people in there and there's going to be some people who just like to be violent or on our power trip there. Um, and then other guys, most of them are just trying to collect the check. Like most people are, let's face it. But yeah. the institution itself is just corrupt from its creation all the way down to the present day. You know, it right. has a bad origin, you know, so when you're going back from like round up those escaped slaves, you know, uh-huh. to enforce uh, segregation and until now, basically it's an unbroken line of evil and corruption. So to me, the whole concept of police, the whole institution just needs to be dismantled and we need to put some smart people together in a room and just come up with something brand new. We don't really need to be policed. Yeah. 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 No, I, and I wanted, I want to get into this, uh, um, kind of like what to, what to do next and, you know, what our different theories are in terms of, uh, what, um, what can be done to kind of fix this situation. It occurs to me, you know, um, and again, you know, the, the Jewish component is like an interesting gateway for me to, you know, to help me kind of relate to what you are going through, you know, and, um, and kind of helps me to sort of think about this stuff. Growing up and thinking about the origins of anti-Semitism, you know, there's some, obviously it just comes from history, right? I mean, um, you look at the roles that Jews played in terms of being kind of middlemen and I guess middle women between various powers that be, um, the roles of the tax collector, things like that. Um, and then you start looking at um, other types of things that might've contributed to this weird type of hatred. I mean, Jewish people religiously have always had a practice of washing their hands. And so naturally things like the black plague aren't going to affect us as much because right. we wash our fucking hands, you know? And, um, and so, um, you know, all these different kinds of things start to build up. And next thing you know, you have, um, you know, many, many years of anti-Semitism. but there's a really interesting kind of di- dichotomy between what many rabbis would call anti-Semitism versus anti-Jew. Um, anti-Semitism is like almost like an intellectual movement. 
you know, these are people who we might even call smart, who've like developed an idea and who are leaders in the movement, understand how to like manipulate people and all this stuff. And then anti-Jew is like more of a gut visceral thing. It's like, I fucking hate Jews because I just fucking hate Jews. And I can't like tell you why. It's just, I just do, you know, that's what's so crazy about racism like this is that it almost seems like it's all under the anti-Jew thing. Do you know what I mean? Like, where's the <laughs> yeah, intellectual it is that yeah. visceral kind of feeling? You don't know why you just hate them. And then, yeah. and then honestly, just and, then, hate you for no reason. and then honestly, like I, I just, at that point, I just have one question. Like was the seed mm. planted and then you just kind of ran with it and just kept it because Sometimes it's like if you just stop and ask your question, you know, yourself that question, like, so why do I really, or do I, was I told to, does it make sense? I don't know. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm not bored with it. I mean, we've all seen this like a million times, like, you know, the two children who are too young to know, quote unquote, any better, they don't know to be racist until the parents come and rip them apart and tell them, you know, you can't be friends or whatever the situation is. They start putting these thoughts into your mind. Right. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it's there, you know, um, good Lord. Good Lord. Um, okay. So what do you think is, I mean, what's different now? You know, I, I mean, I've only been doing this podcast for a few months. Um, but it doesn't take long for an African-American to be killed by a police officer in the U S. And I think if we were to look back and when I started doing it, you know, George Floyd, isn't the first one. Um, You know, there have been others even during this short time period. So what's different here? Like what's what's going on here that it's all of a sudden there's there's some different there's some different shit going on. Well, recently, uh, past couple of years, the police have been escalating their violence against everyone. Of course, like blacks get hit the hardest, uh, you know, in some places, Native Americans uh, and indigenous peoples get hit even harder. Yeah. But uh, they're they're spreading that violence and uh, authoritarianism around their quote unquote own people. Huh. What do you think, Jessica? Is there something to that? Um. I mean, I I would like to think that now. My hope is that people are realizing that it. Why does it have to be you know the color of your skin that could have been my brother that could have been my sister that could have been my adopted child that could have been my adopted mother that could have been you know the grandmother that i'm not related to by blood but she took me in and raised me so i think maybe it's just hitting a little bit closer to home yeah yeah maybe there's you, maybe you almost, you yeah. hope that's it because then that means there's a a little bit more empathy than there has been in the that's, past yeah that's that's what i would like to that's what I. That's what I think. That's what I. Or at least how I would like to feel. Right. I didn't. Um. I haven't watched the. I, I haven't watched the video at all. Um. It just. I don't. I mean. I couldn't. I couldn't bring myself to watch it either. There was something neither. about. Yeah. That it's so many, and I almost felt like it was an obligation. Like, okay, I have to like you know watch this, and but by the time we got to this last one, not this last one, but the most recent one, um, yeah. I just couldn't do it. I think I saw maybe two, three minutes and I was like, that's it. That's enough. I can't, this is, it's just too much. It's traumatic. Yeah. It's too yeah. Many, it's too many I think, I think there might be something to that, you know, to just how horrific the video is. Um, I mean, you know, 
me and folks in my family are trying to find ways to do our part. And I've been, you know, thinking about getting out and finding protests to join and things like that. Um, I haven't done it yet, to be honest, but I, you know, um, the thought is there. And I was telling Dre, I think if I watched the video, I'd, I'd be throwing rocks through windows for sure. Yeah. And I'm not sure how else to respond to that because it just, everything I've heard about it in terms of him calling for his mother and then, yeah. you know, being fully unconscious and he stays on him for another two and a half minutes or something like that. And, yeah. and I heard that they even knew each other, like they fucking knew each other. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, like he was a security guard, I guess, somewhere where this cop was kind of working at sometimes. And like, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's just crazy, just crazy. So there might be something to that as well, but like the weird, and I don't know how to, I honestly don't know how to feel about this, but it almost feels like the biggest difference here is white people, right? hundred percent. Yeah, they're they have some fear. Like there is the empathy, like Jessica was saying, uh, especially okay. younger people. But uh, for a lot of them, it's just the fears. Like I think they're realizing there's going to be consequences for these actions. Like people are tired of you know like, singing and holding hands and all that stuff. It's going to explode. There's too many things happening. Like people are out of work. People are getting sick and dying. Uh, there's a, a president who's destroying the country i don't care if you're like a trump uh nazi clone worshiper or whatever you are you can see it regardless if you tell anybody else outside your group you can see what he's doing he's destroying everything uh he's not making it better for anybody unless you're like in the top 10 percent or so yeah uh, you know so and then you throw one more humiliation an impossible situation on top of that fire it's gonna explode like enough's enough it's uh it's incredible. What do you think, Jessica? I mean, is there something to that? I mean, I I definitely feel that people just think like it 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 it's close to home. That that's just kind of the best way I could describe it. Because what's to say that couldn't have been me? You know, mm-hmm. you know, when everything was first you know happening with the COVID crisis and all the you know uh, racial you know racist comments being made towards Asians and Asian Americans. I mean, one of my closest friends, she's Taiwanese. So that's close to Mm -hmm. home. You know, one of my colleagues, she has three adopted children who happen to be, you know, part African-American that could have, you know, that I just feel like it's, it's close to home. And so I think that's, that's what a lot of people could be reacting to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, In a way, thank God. Right. You know, when you look at, you know, young people and, and, uh, what their relationship with African-Americans has become, and also what their relationship with African-American culture has become, has made it a a lot closer. I feel like too, you know, whereas, um, in the, you know, back when like Dre and I were kids in the late eighties and nineties, and you might've like, you know, like me really liked hip hop and like, you know, sports and things like that. And there might've been a lot of African-American figures who we followed and idolized, but we didn't know them personally in the way Mm -hmm. that we do now. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not the same. And now we know them personally. So you kind of get the feeling like, you know, you never meet LeBron James, but it's almost like he's your friend because you know so much about him. Mm -hmm. And then you picture, you know, this, this, you know, man who you didn't know who has this horrible death and you realize, well, fuck that could happen to LeBron James. (laughs) 
right? I mean, yeah. <clears throat> that's yeah. going to have an impact too. And and honestly, and and then we're also still in the midst of this, you know, crisis, this pandemic that doesn't see race, color, age, or anything. So right. I'm wondering if that could have also potentially had like a unifying factor where we're all like, oh my god, no, we're all kind of all in this together. And I, this is what I would like to think, obviously, you know, we're all in this together because if we don't take the precautions, like we might not make it. So yeah, we need to do it. We need to do it. everyone stay home. You know, I loved how, you know, a lot of heroes were acknowledged and praised, especially people that, you know, you, most people didn't even think about, or would maybe look down on grocery store workers, farmers, you know, the importance yeah. Of the, you know, this is just like basic oh, needs yeah. that I, I mean, I don't know, it's it's kind of uh unprecedented, but I, I maybe that could have played a part as well. That's my door, yeah. I mean, commenting. yeah, <laughs> I mean, certainly when you look at you know, cross section of our society in terms of uh who this is impacting the most, you're 100% right, COVID doesn't know um race, except it, except it kind of does in a way. Um, in that it's, um, it's, from my understanding, it's, it's greatly impacted the African American community more so than any other community, um, which is a reflection of, you know, healthcare available and things that's like that. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's yeah. A, and, a, 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 I feel like that's more a reflection of the system that, yeah, yeah. unfortunately makes certain populations and anyone more who's vulnerable. been getting stomped on yeah. by the system is having a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. why I, I gotta like mention indigenous people again because yeah. they got it rough. They got it rough too. They absolutely I'll, I'll have it rough. You, too. I'll tell you one thing: uh, if we stay divided like this, we are not as a species going to survive the next pandemic or two, and it's coming. Yeah, yeah. There's there's no way the world is a lot smaller, so that shit spreads a lot faster. And um, this, you know, this, we, as horrible as this is, and this is going to come off probably the wrong way, but whatever. But this is mild compared to what Mother Nature can do to us. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, look how much like she started to run. look how much she started to bounce back in what the thirty days that we stayed home. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's it's unreal. I keep thinking about um, you know, I, I I don't understand at all why older lungs are more susceptible to this versus younger lungs. And that, you know, um, and honestly, I've, I mean, I, there are patients that I've seen in their forties and fifties that didn't make it, but grandma with a list of comorbidities, 92, I come back a week later, she's on a nasal cannula, two liters getting ready to go back to the nursing yeah. home. So like, it yeah. really makes no sense. You know, yeah. you would think yeah, yeah. 92, yeah. A list of comorbid conditions, you know, yeah. frail, not really moving around as much, a young, you know, relatively healthy forty fifth. It just really, I mean, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's like it depends on the depends on the version that she gets. But can you imagine if if the if it was the opposite and like kids were dying from this? Like a lot of kids uh, were dying. Like yeah. mostly kids were dying from this. That'd be a different scenario. That'd be it, it's weird. Different. I, I want to think that, but at the same time, gun violence affects a lot of kids and. There's no movement on that. Gun yeah. violence affects a lot of kids. We can absolutely control that easily, way easier than a virus. We can control that. Yeah, and that's the, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the scary thing. I mean, what are the the the, the optimist in me is kind of looking at what's going on here and saying, yeah, this is great. Um, 
you know, finally white people are joining in, which is wonderful. I mean, typically um, we've talked about this, Dre, you and I a little bit kind of today that, um, I mean, when you look at like history, it's not, you know, black lives don't get better when black people change. Black lives get better when white people change. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it's kind of up to us. <laughs> and, and, yeah, they have uh, to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, um, gosh, man, uh, you know, I don't know. I just lost my train of thought, to be honest. <laughs> I have no fucking idea what I was about to say. Yeah, I just feel, I just want to, why can't we just all get along? I mean, I just, <laughs> I know it sounds so silly, but no, it's interesting because like, one of my, my, one of my closest friends growing up, she is Taiwanese. And we would always say we have a Haitian, we called it a Haitian Asian connection because we were so alike. Our mothers were so alike the way her her parents raised her and the way my parents raised her and how strict they're, where are you going? No, it's too late. No, you can't do. And it was just so alarming how Uh similar we were, even though we came from like two completely different cultural backgrounds and even as when I was younger I was like I wish people could just experience this we're so alike oh (laughs) you know we have so much in in common why does something like skin color have to divide us so strongly so much it goes it's yeah it's awful I've studied a little bit by the way Jessica about the history of Haiti a very very little bit there is a, oh boy, there is a related story there. Man. <laughs> I mean, world's first African nation, right? Yes. <laughs> there's, there's no reason on earth why it's not, you know, the richest island in the Caribbean. Yeah. Just, wow. just a bunch of uh, European political reasons. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. Just European political reasons and just skin color reasons. That's the only reason. Because yeah. it was a massive uprising and it's probably the most fertile land um, mm-hmm. in the whole North America region um, and was hands down the wealthiest uh, um, colony for the longest time because of coffee and mm-hmm. tobacco and lavender and uh, the, uh, the most successful slave uprising of all time, followed by a nation that then became the poorest nation of all time. Yeah. It's, it's actually, it's, it's quite tragic. But I, what's the other thing that's interesting is that I think even, I hope I don't upset anybody by saying this, but even amongst <laughs> Haitians, there's racism as well. Meaning what? Meaning, um, and I, I, I'm sure Drake could also uh, comment on this. Yeah. You know, region, education, even skin yeah. complexion. Skin complexion is a big one. Yeah, surprisingly, yeah. skin color is a, a big one. So lighter skin versus darker skin. And we even find that here in America. Oh, so, yeah. you know, that's something that even me and my fellow brothers and sisters, we really need to work on as well. Because yeah. we can't point yeah. the finger and then do it amongst each other. There's a, uh, uh, who's, uh, who's more Jewish, uh, dialogue yeah. that, happens. <laughs> that happens among Jews as well. Unfortunately, um, <laughs> you don't find a who's more white argument, but that's partially because among white people, they tend to, we tend to divide ourselves by nationality, 
So there'll yeah. be a who's more Irish, who's more Italian, sure. <laughs> you know, who's more English discussion, but there's not going to be a who's more white discussion. Yeah. You know, um, but that definitely exists in the Jewish world. Gosh, yeah. that definitely exists. Um, so what the fuck are we supposed to do? <laughs> God damn it. What are we supposed to do? You beat down one like 10 other surface. It's, it's like, all right, no longer by cover. But, you know, you upstate New Yorkers don't know what you're talking about. I'm from the city. And this and you're like, oh, God, we just created another. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. It's so it's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. You know, we need fucking, you know what? I mean, we could use aliens immediately. I feel like that's, <laughs> that's what it would take. You know, a common enemy off of earth to come down. Yeah, you know what? Even that, even that. So yeah, that, you know, I was thinking, I remember what I was saying before the optimist in me, like really is hoping that this time is different, that the video is just awful enough. White people are enamored enough with their African-American friends, with culture, with all that stuff. Um, and it's, you know, and it's at the point where, you know, just everyone is sick of it. And, you know, finally, we can come up with some ideas to make a change here. The pessimist in me tells me that, eh, give it three weeks, you know. Um, but maybe the trial will kind of keep it going that it just will be constantly in the news because of the trials that come out of this that that'll keep it going you know but even then when the trials are done you know the, the police the police and the politicians are looking for any excuse to uh you know really do some militaristic damage uh to the populace to get everything back into control yeah um, Look at so that, that's another danger yeah, they really but, just if you watch watch those tapes, they're out there pushing and shoving people that aren't doing anything, you know, screaming at them, just and just coming into someone's neighborhood wearing riot gear and essentially driving the equivalent of a tank through the town. That's yep. antagonistic as well and threatening. So you're they're trying to evoke a response so they can have a violent response back. So yeah, we've got their only only answer to every problem is just violence. And yeah. what everybody else needs to realize is that this is just a game for powerful people that even the police are subject to and they don't realize it. They're not as powerful as they think they are. They got a little bit of power, but not as much power as they think they are. And all this divide and conquer stuff and all this I'm black, you're white, you have a little more money, I have a little less money, you're in a better neighborhood, better education, less education, whatever that is, it's just divide and conquer. None of that stuff is real. There's a very tiny percentage of the people who are actually calling the shots and making up all these rules about who's special and who's not special. Yeah. And people need to wake up to that. We get rid of those people, take those people out of power, and you'll have a shot of actually changing things. For yeah, it's the, whole, it's the whole argument of, we used to talk about this in rabbinical school too. I had this one professor that was really into these ideas. Um, and it was the idea that, look, in every situation... You have, like, imagine a pyramid, um, and the pyramid represents society, right? And the vast majority of us, we're the folk. We're the, mm -hmm. we're the bottom of the pyramid. We don't have any power. We don't have any say. You, there's different levels to the bottom of the period, right? The pyramid, right? Because, you know, I get pulled over by a police officer nothing happens. So I'm higher up <laughs> in the bottom of the pyramid mm -hmm. than for someone who runs into authority and shit always happens. Um, and then, uh, and then you have the authority layer, which is, you know, everything from your politicians to your police officers, 
um, including the politicians, by the way, including the president of the United States, um, yeah. because above that is the power structure. And those are the people you don't even fucking know. Um, yeah. Those people are the ones who are funding everything. And you have no idea who they are, where the money is coming from. Not even talk about the Koch brothers here, because we know who they are. You know, right. and my professor told this story about being at some big gala um, in New York City. And um, everybody is there with their entire teams and everything else. And um, and then the event ends and he's standing outside with his wife waiting for a cab to go home. And he looks behind him and there's David Rockefeller leaning up against the wall as if there's nothing going on. And <laughs> my professor says that's power. When David Rockefeller can walk around New York City and not be recognized, then that's uh, that's what power is, really. Um, so it moves in silence, right? Like, that's the whole idea yeah, of it. Yeah. So understanding. I don't understand what the motivation is. I'm just trying to, you know. Yeah, well, if we all are fighting each other on automatic pilot, they can do whatever they want to do invisibly. Right. Right. Which is just kind of like suck our resources and our work effort out of us. Like, so unless you're in like the top whatever percent, all your labor is just making someone else rich. So what you're it's saying is that simple. it's just a, so you're almost saying, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it's almost like you're saying that it's just as tragic that poor white people are fooled into being racist 100%. as it is that black people have to deal with racism. A hundred percent. So now, is do you think? I feel like with the pandemic, do you think that the people at the bottom of the pyramid are actually realizing that without them, those at the top cannot remain at the top? I really hope so. Yeah. I really hope so, because then the next step is going to be unions and alliances between working people. And that's a huge uh, step that we need to recover. Yeah. Yeah. There needs to be a deeper understanding of who's on whose side and for what. Um, yeah. You know, it is completely ridiculous that so often it's poor people versus poor people whose needs are the same. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And, uh, you know, and meanwhile, they're busy clashing against each other. There's definitely, obviously, something huge to be said about that. Um, I, you know, I think there's some, in a way, it's like, yeah, power structure is power structure, but there's still people, so they're going to make stupid mistakes. And yeah. in the building of the levels of technology that we have now, you know, you have to kind of try to figure out how to navigate what's real and not real, you know? Um, how do you know that a, a message that you read on Facebook somewhere is a bot versus a real person? It actually doesn't take that much savvy to figure that out. And most kids kind of know how to do that, basically. Um, but technology and social media has created an ability for, like, you know, ideas and, I guess, a zeitgeist to kind of spread like wildfire, right? You know, like, yeah. I, I can't imagine that the power structures really want there to be, you know, rioting all over the country. I can't imagine that that's what they want because they're just losing money. Yeah. Um, and, you know, so like, I think that they would, they want police officers to continue to have that power. <laughs> they don't want white people yeah, to say, as hey, long as the police keep using that power to keep the rest of us in check. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we really need the police to either one, be gone or two, wake up or wake up because yeah. they're not part of that group that they're protecting. They're not part of that group that they're protecting at the top. Yeah. They're actually one of us, but traitors because they're killing us. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. How, I mean, they are so often, I, you know, I don't, we only have a hundred listeners probably. So I don't feel the need to like offer disclaimers. I'm sure they're good police officers out there. Um, and at the same time, when you think about like, who's going to become a police officer, you know exactly who it is. It's the kids in high school who were, who got a kick out of bullying people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, it's the football players. And, and, and acknowledging too, that it's extraordinarily hard as a police officer to turn against your own for multiple, multiple reasons. And that's, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. What do we do? Well, one, we elevate like the wrong people. So someone who's like a whistleblower to the police, that person needs to be like socially and economically elevated. There has to be like a reward for that instead of a punishment. Cause right now that person is punished. You're yeah. just considered a rat. Yeah. Whereas actually that person is a very courageous person for telling the truth about one of his own. Yeah, we've we've really militarized the country when it comes to how we think about whistleblowers these days. Yeah. yeah. And with police, they're basically have immunity for most crimes. Like the bar to uh, get a police officer to do any time for a crime is next to impossible. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, look at from, you know, what I've seen at the Minneapolis case, the guy who's the the person who's the chief of police in Minneapolis is actually someone who sued the police department for this kind of thing. And, and, um, you know, is like, has been trying to bring changes, but you've got this, um, really awful kind of power structure between the police chief and the police union where the president of the police union is like basically a de facto police chief. Um, and, uh, you know, like just overrides everything that the actual police chief says and does. Um, which is why their hands are tied to get these people out of the force when they, you know, do these awful things. Um, I listened to, uh, there's this guy named, uh, Bomani Jones, who's an ESPN personality. I listen to his podcast all the time. And, uh, he made the point, was it him? I think it was him. It might have been Stephen A. Smith. Well, if somebody at ESPN made the point, um, that, uh, you know, it's not that police need training because actually they can arrest white people and keep them alive. <laughs> like they, yeah. they they Even when they commit horrific uh, mass murders, yeah, the Boston, the Boston guys, the Boston guys got captured alive. Yeah, how did They're that very happen? Gentle with these guys, yeah, yeah. I remember I saw an arrest in New York City um, where it was a, a man running with a knife, and this police officer stepped out and and basically like used a baseball bat, threatened him with a baseball bat. Um, didn't swing it at all. The man just fell to his knees. They took the knife and they arrested him and took him away. I think maybe he got like a little bit of scrapes from having to fall to his knees, but that was it. You know, he would have swung that baseball bat if it was an African-American running towards him. Um, So yeah, all that stuff is, all that stuff is there. Jessica, what do you think? (laughs) What should we do? (laughs) Oh man. I, I honestly, I, I don't really know. Actually, I don't know. I don't do Jesse, you remember uh do you remember in uh Hawaii we yeah. had that run in with the police officer? 
Tell that story. What? Tell, now <laughs> tell me that story. Sorry, but it's been a long day. Yeah, it's, it's, the reverse, it's the reverse of you think. You're going to remember it. It, it was real simple. Uh, we're crossing the street, and uh, around the corner comes a police officer. And he smiled and said aloha. But we were like scared shitless. <laughs> we just like, Wait, oh, God, it's cop. Like, <laughs> what's going to happen? Wait, where were we? You don't remember that? We were talking about that. No, right where across we? from the hotel. Right across from the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. We were just that like, actually. oh my god, I was sure something was going to happen. <laughs> oh my god. Well, maybe that was a, an occasion where, after that, my brain was kind of like, "You're safe," and it just like. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever? Like, I say all that to say this. Like, listen, guys, we're like very black people are very easy to please. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't take much. Like, just come on. Like, stop killing us. And be polite. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> have you ever? Have either of you ever been anywhere where you didn't feel racism? Uh yes, and I'm sure, Josh, you heard all about it from Andre. <laughs> um, <laughs> Hawaii, <laughs> which was very weird. <laughs> yeah. What yeah. was that like? I'll I'll let Andre open up since that's like his. In a place that he wants to live. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear from both of you about it. But yeah, um, I don't know. I mean, it was literally it felt like a pressure just off. Like once you realize it wasn't like okay, day one wasn't wasn't a fluke. Day two wasn't a fluke. It's like this is real. These people are really like don't How care. How could you tell? How could you tell? It was like, cause the, <laughs> this is going to sound mean or something, I guess, but the only time we'd have any issue would be from a white person that was vacationing from somewhere else. And you just felt it off of them. Yeah. You can feel it. You can, from how they look at you, from how they talk to you, how they like basically like run you over essentially. <laughs> but <laughs> everyone who's like native Hawaiian, whether they're indigenous Hawaiian or, you know, just live there. Nicest people ever. Yeah. They're not very, they're not very class conscious either for most of them and just beautiful accepting people. And it's amazing. It's really yeah. just amazing not to have to worry about that. Not to have to worry. Even like walking in, I mean, we, we did a lot of, uh, you know, window shopping and stuff and just walking into a store and not having to worry about, you know, Oh gosh, I'm walking in. Yeah. Is anybody going to feel uncomfortable? <laughs> no, I'm yeah. just looking. I won't touch. You know, it's just get. Yeah. I know it sounds yeah, silly, like but the this first is just time you carry your history you with you, yeah, and you're so you're expecting like, okay, we're security. Let me make sure I don't linger anywhere too much. <laughs> yeah. But then, yeah, like, just, pretty quickly, you're just like, hey, no one's following me. Like, <laughs> you just, you just, I mean, you felt it. Like when you walked into a store it's there, you just beat. felt it. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Like if anyone stops you to talk to you, it's like not because they're suspicious. They're like actually trying to help you or just want to talk. How did you leave? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't want to. He's like, he's like, I'm sending for my dog, though. <laughs> I have a, Jessica. I have a, I have an image of you like walking through the Hawaiian airport with like Andre holding onto your ankle. You know what I mean? You're just kind of drag basically. You. <laughs> basically. Psychologically, yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's basically what happened. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on Hawaii. <laughs> oh my god. The Hawaiians are just great. That's amazing. 
That's amazing. Yeah, you're, you're pretty. You're just judged on like how you treat them and you know, all that. Said. Dre, you haven't like gotten far enough in kind of the thought about a post police world to um, know what to do next. But you're just of the mind that like you know, there's got to be at least a hundred better ideas than this, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to rebuild part of your society. So we're talking about you know education and actually raising a generation of people, uh, who, thinkers, yeah, you know, can think for themselves and innovators and creators and. Uh, and innovators and problem solvers, not people who are just taught to obey. Like, and and we all fall prey to it because your peers, as a child, you know, you yell at the troublemaker kid, quote unquote, just as much as the teacher does. It's just like just shut up and sit down and do what the teacher tells you. You know, yeah. It starts it starts that early, and uh, you know the rest of your life is really different versions of that. Whatever bosses you had, <laughs> you know, whatever coworkers you have to the politicians to the, to the uh, billionaires and so forth, the whole thing is like that. So this whole enforcer mentality just needs to go. We talk about like you know where the percentages are in terms of where the money goes in this country, and um, mm-hmm. you think about like how how i mean all those stark images of like what health workers had to do in order to create like basically hazmat suits for themselves heading into the covid crisis and how long it took for us to mobilize even though we saw the shit coming since like january even really for a lot longer than that if you're just thinking well eventually it's going to happen um and how quick you know the police force is able to mobilize and and like so many people say i mean then it's then you have to ask the questions okay so yeah really where are our priorities Right. Right. You know, exactly. Yeah. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And the priorities on enforcing, you know, the rules of the elite, they want to say law and order, but it's not about law and order because the laws help one class of people and destroy another class of people. So that's not it. Right. Right. It's about maintaining their status quo. Yeah. Um, Oh man, it's so depressing. It's so depressing. Um, I, you know, I, I, uh, I like stand-up comedy a lot and, uh, Dave Chappelle has a bit about police brutality from the nineties and he's ta- do you guys remember, have you ever seen this one before where he's talking about how all these, uh, black people were being killed in the late eighties and early nineties and we just kept calling it a crack murder. And the way that you knew it was a crack death was that they were finding like dead bodies on the ground with crack sprinkled all over them. (laughs) And that was Chappelle's point. It was like, who the fuck sprinkles crack over themselves? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) No, what's really happening? Yeah, it was it's like one of those things like everyone at the street level knows that's BS and that's just how the police do business. But you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say that. So that was his joke. And then um and then recently um I heard a routine by um oh what's the name of that comedian um oh god richard fryer from like mm-hmm. the 70s and it's this, basically the same joke and he's just he's joking about he's talking about how the difference between like when a black person encounters the police versus a white person and he's like doing an impression of a white person. And he saw it says for himself, he's like, I am reaching back and grabbing my wallet. That's like the line there. And that's from the seventies. Yeah. 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 People were laughing at it, you know? Um, So people knew enough, were aware enough of inequalities to know that that was a thing to not think that he was talking crazy. 
Worse. then, and then same thing with Chappelle, and here we are now. Yeah, and there's this weird cultural thing here too, where uh, you know, a white guy or somebody does something wrong, and it's an example of like, oh, this is just a very good person who had one off day and they did one wrong thing. Yeah. It's like a suspicion of innocence. And then if it's one of us, then, well, it was just a matter of time before his true color showed. Yeah. And then there's all, yeah. there's always, Have not, you seen... there's always the, ahead, um, because yes, if you look at history, black people have come a long way. So there's also always the notion of, yeah, well, we still have so much further to go, but should we just be happy? Okay, maybe I should just shut up and not say anything since it could be worse. And that right. always plays in the back right. of your mind because you're like, yeah, but it's still not right. But it's like, yeah, but I'm not going to say anything right. because I I guess it could be worse. So I guess yeah. this is the new normal yeah. and let's just accept and it. And that holds, that holds, yeah. and that holds uh, working class white people hostage as well. How so? Because they don't want to. They don't want to rock the boat, you know. So even right. if your your situation is not great, and it was worse than last year was, at least you're still better than the next guy, right? And if you rock the boat too much, that could change. That could change. It could be you next. Yeah. So yeah, that. But now that the boat is capsized. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how how crazy is it, right? I mean, so we've been talking for a couple hours and. Um, or getting there at least. And both of you talked about how, you know, growing up, even in New York, where there actually is some diversity, it's not fucking Georgia, you know, and, um, and yet, it's almost like it's like built in in terms of, no, I'm afraid of the police, and there's a tension there. So in your daily lives, you're essentially being held emotionally hostage by this fear. And, um, and if someone just looks like me, you don't have to be, you know? Um, so yeah, things are much better. And yet, you know, hostage, hostage situation. Absolutely. You know, Jessica, what are your thoughts in terms of what Andre is saying? Like, maybe we just shouldn't have any police. Like, do you, do you think along these lines too? Um, Like what's your mindset there? That definitely is one way to go, but I think, I think we just need to put a, I don't know, I feel like a, a little bit more um, power, I guess, back in the hands of the people. I, that's just, that's just kind yeah. of my, my, my thought on it. I mean, it's easy for us to, you yeah. know, sit around and, oh, okay, this, this is what you need to do. And, you know, these are the orders and you have to follow these orders and you know we've basically just become a society Mm -hmm. i feel like that like we're actually uncomfortable so like think about it um when everybody during the you know peak of the crisis stay home so many people were like i'm going insane and it's like why are you going insane i don't know what to do Mm -hmm. i can't go to work the kids aren't in school what do i do i'm just sitting around here i'm I'm going crazy and it's like because yeah. we we yeah. were so focused and comfortable in such a set routine of okay you get up now you have to go to work 
okay, from work, you have to pick, the kids need daycare, then you pick up the kids on the way, then you work. So it's like, okay, we've had rules up until this point, and now you have this moment where, okay, no, there's a pandemic, and the whole, you know, your whole routine is basically thrown upside down, and you're kind of left to figure it out. And you would think, because most of us, I, I would like to think most of us are like, oh, what I would do if I had just extra time and extra days off to myself. Yeah. All right. We had it. Maybe not yeah. exactly the way we wanted it, but we have it. And it's like, I don't know what to do with myself. Uh, I'm going to go insane. <laughs> yeah, it's like torture. <laughs> yep. Lose your fucking yeah. mind. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, something, something new has to be, uh, something new has to be envisioned here in terms of uh, how to do this and empowering the people um, is a part of that for sure. I mean, think about it, right? I mean, I, you know, isn't it not the case that a police officer is supposed to be yes. a public servant? Yes, absolutely. That's what they say. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the phrase, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, to protect and to serve, quote unquote. So, you know, it's um, it's ridiculous. I mean, obviously, you know, you, you never hear of a case of uh, African-American police officer killing an African-American man. Um, and you rarely hear of the case of an African-American police officer killing a white man who didn't deserve it, you know? <laughs> right, um, right. So I, I would think that we probably, there should be an effort to get more minorities in the police force. Um, and there's something to be said about policing the neighborhoods that you come from and building those relationships. Like Absolutely. there's something to be said about that. And at the same, you know, at, right? Um, um, you know, those types of pieces, but yeah, I, you know, I'm, a, I'm in a hundred percent in agreement with you guys in terms of the education component, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you're, <laughs> I'm going to say it like this, I'm obviously on the further uh, extreme view about the police thing, but if you're going to keep the police like at a bare minimum, like the retraining doesn't even begin to cover it. Uh, it's so antagonistic. Like they you look, looking at people as threats instead of as family members and you know friends and community. That has to change. Yeah, they should probably be completely disarmed. Yeah, uh, the, the technology is there for um, a complete non-lethal police. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, the technology exists. You know, there's no. And they, I mean, and they, they can save. They can save taking checking out those guns for like an actual incident that requires guns, like active shooter situation or something like that. Otherwise you don't really just need to be walking around town all, all day with firearms. No, there's no reason. There's no reason they're armed to the teeth too. It's not just firearms in their body, but if you look and, at like, and, and they're terrified. Yeah. I saw a photo, uh, uh, you know, a bunch of police holding all those, the, uh, the, it's either rubber bullets or those like uh, pepper spray guns, whatever they call them. Yeah. And, uh, at a little girl that's sitting on her father's shoulders. Yeah, I saw yeah. And if you zoom in on the guy, the police officer's face, he's terrified. absolutely terrified while he's holding a firearm at a little child. Yeah. Yeah, he's utterly terrified in that moment. And it's like, okay, if you're that scared, one, don't be a police officer. Two, certainly don't give that person a firearm. Like, I, we need to get with some system to at least weed that out. And yeah. that should be very easy to do. It's like, we just have to have the will to do it. Now, have yeah. they tried talking? Um, I mean, I, like I said, I have to control how much of the news I, I watch. But 
have they tried actually interviewing and talking to members of the police force just to kind of get their perspective? So there's a podcast that I heard, um, because I mean, police force isn't monolithic. I mean, no, no, sure. no group is, but, uh, so you, you get people who are in there to sort of push people around. Mm-hmm. People are in there because they think guns are cool. Um, and then there are people who are in there like actually mm-hmm. to protect and to serve. Um, but there is this podcast by this guy who used to be a Navy SEAL and he interviews people with different things. And he interviewed this police officer, um, who was a Delta force guy. And the police officer made big waves by talking about these instances of police brutality. He was talking about it um, in terms of what he's seen by how police have responded to folks who are disobeying COVID orders. Um, And so many sort of white folks who are getting pushed around and arrested for not wearing their masks, for example. Um, And he was talking about it in that context, but then also bringing it up in terms of you know, the relationship between the cops and um, minority communities, especially the African-American community. And he was like, yeah. And they, they did this podcast before all this stuff happened. And he was like, yeah, no, it's a it's a serious problem. You know, the amount of people who just really don't care and they're in it to push people around. And and, it, and all it does is make the job harder for every for all of us that want to do well, you know, um, and we just feel like any moment we're out there, someone wants to kill us. And it's hugely because of the behavior mm-hmm. of some of our colleagues mm-hmm. who are doing these awful things. So, um, you know, I've got a couple of colleagues who've got spouses who are police officers and they're like, you know, please pray for yeah. my husband who goes out every yeah, night. Yeah, yeah. I, have, to do with I have some colleagues and as well like, who have all, you yeah. know, spouses, as you say, or brothers and sisters, or even, you know, fathers and things like and grandparents that are in the force and, yeah, and it's hard to to mm-hmm. kind of ask them because you don't want to make anybody uncomfortable. So that's why I kind of like ask. <laughs> yeah. No, I think there's. I think in a lot of forces, there's a lot of tension inside the, each department because yeah. of this. You know, it's like folks talk about like NFL teams like they're post racial, but actually the NFL mm-hmm. locker room is really divided. <laughs> it's really divided. Um, and same thing with the police force. I met this guy a uh, bunch of years ago. Uh, Mexican guy who was a police officer and he talked about a handful of instances during his career where he had to get in the way between um, his white colleagues and a minority um, who they were mistreating. And he even told of this one story where they used to fire beanbags. It wasn't rubber bullets. It was like beanbags out of a shotgun basically. And um, he was, uh, they were approaching this man who was, I think he, I think it was a Mexican man. And he was afraid that his colleagues were going to use lethal force on him. And so before they had a chance to do that, he shot him in the stomach with a beanbag. And um, it turned out the man had some kind of condition wow. and the beanbag killed him. And, um, and he was doing it to save him and ended up, ended up killing him. Um, but it was because of that racial tension that, that, uh, that he did it, actually. And he said he, he spent his whole career feeling that he needed to step between his colleagues and the people who they were arresting to make sure they were arrested correctly. Wow. Yeah. No, that's like, that's too much to have to, to deal with. Can you imagine? That's and like, I, I want to believe that it's like a small group, <laughs> like always like a few bad seeds, but unfortunately like those few bad seeds are like, you know, destroying the entire department and, and now the entire country. Yep. It's like, so if they're going to keep having this blue wall of silence where 
no matter what you do, no one gets ratted out and no one's held accountable, then everyone's going to have to pay the price yeah. in that organization. And yeah. that's essentially what's happening now. You're guilty for your silence. You know, when someone's doing something evil and uh, corrupt and illegal, mm-hmm. you got to open your mouth. You have to do something about it. You can't just say, oh, well, he's one of us, so I can't say anything. No other group is allowed to do that. No, that's right. No, that's right. Oh, man. Um, all right. So what do we do? Um, here comes the stupid <laughs> <line of question>. <laughs> <laughs> What do we do? What do you think, Jessica? Um, I mean, I, one thing I will say that um, I've appreciated with everything that's going on is the amount of support that I have seen from the, uh, I guess, from the Caucasian population. We have, I have seen a lot of support, both, you know, personally, um, you know, looking at the news, looking at social media, uh, Facebook, friends. It's just really uh, comforting to see the amount of support that we're getting um, from all cultures. So I, 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 yeah, I'll say uh, social media. No, that's fine. Been, no, that's, sorry. Go ahead, continue. No, I was just going to say that uh, social media has been way better at uh, capturing that truth than uh, mass media has been. They've not really been covering that. You know, they just cover like the most sensational. Oh, this place is on fire. This window got broken. Mm-hmm. It's like, but as far as like peaceful protests, it's like, yeah, it's a sea of white faces and uh, a lot of uh, age variances as well. Yeah. There's a lot of people coming together, whether from every culture. Yeah. And of course, we know well, this has now exploded across the entire world because th- this problem is happening across the world. It's not just yeah. the United States. Yeah. On one so hand, it's it, like. It is tremendous solidarity. Yeah. On one hand, how amazing that they're doing Black Lives Matter yeah. protests in Australia. Yeah, yeah. 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 You know, on the other hand, the Aborigine population in Australia has to piss the fuck off about that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, all right, fellas, come on. <laughs> yeah, yes. Thank you, thank you. Yes, that's it's. We stand in solidarity. However, I'm standing yeah, right here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's we like we've been talking people. about this for how long? Only yeah. since you people arrived, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. For sure, it's ridiculous. Um. Well, I I know for me. I, I refuse to um, I'm, I'm done with uh, thinking myself as post-racial. Um, and I think for the rest of my life, that just needs to be the case um, because, you know, what we need is we need a generation of kids to be born who are raised by a generation of kids who are fucking raised by a generation of kids who are like, you know, already kind of heading in that direction. Um, mm-hmm. And we're a few hundred years away from that. So, you know, I just don't, I don't think I can think of myself that way anymore. Um, so that's like one thing for me that I want to, that I want to commit myself to. Um, and then, you know, beyond that, like, it's just, I guess, keeping a foot on the gas as much as possible and trying to, you know, live our lives while at the same time, remembering that, like, you know, I'm going to continue to see police and, and, uh, I'm still not going to be afraid. In the same way that, you know, one of my best friends ever has to feel every single time. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think that's something that just kind of has to be there. 
And, you know, I, I mean, I would say that like Dre, that's stuff, that's something that, you know, you've done for me, you know, just, at, you know, I'm your Jewish friend, you know what I mean? So you don't hear Christmas music in the mall the same way that another Christian person might, because you know me. So, you know, that there are people out there that that's not their music. Exactly. That's not a, that's not exactly. a, yeah. that's not a big fucking deal. You it's know really what I mean? not. Yeah. Most of those songs are written by Jewish people anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you still have the space in your heart to like, you know, have me in your mind when you, when you're in that space. So it's more uncomfortable to think about racism um, than something like that. So it's easy to kind of push it out, but I don't think that I have the right to do that anymore. You know, so um, you. that's some something that I want to do for sure. Um, beyond that, what else, you guys? What do you think? Uh, keep the pressure on. Yeah. Just keep the pressure on and stay awake, like to yourself and to everything around you. And realize that other people being treated fairly, <laughs> other people being treated fairly and equally is not, not taking something away from you. You're right. Right. It sounds like a weird thing to say, but like a lot of people feel that way, you know. Right. Right. If you've got an opportunity, that's one mm-hmm. less opportunity for me. But right. like, I don't want to be a voice actor. Well, sorry, Josh, because your whole community is depending on you too. <laughs> <laughs> It's too much to ask. It's too much to ask. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Last last words for now. Is there anything that we're missing from this? Con- I mean, this is just one conversation, and I think we should have others. Um, but uh, is there anything that I didn't ask that I should have asked? Anything that we're missing from this? No. I would just say that? one race, we're all the same. And I think we should try to incorporate that and remember that in everything that we do. Maybe that'll be another step in the right direction. That's right. That's right. That that's the final word right there. One human species in the story. Nowhere else to go past that. Yep. That's it. That's it. And uh any of us that um, you know, is looking in the mirror and seeing something that comes before that, it's probably time to take a moment and check ourselves, right? So hundred percent. I appreciate you guys so much. Uh, thank you for your time. Thank you. And, um, thank you. Let's, uh, let's continue the conversation. And for anyone who's uh, listening to this podcast, thank you for taking the time to listen um, and uh, look for ways to get involved in everything else. And um, um, let's uh, work together. And uh, NSA and FBI, that's uh, goes double for you. That goes double for you, especially, especially you guys. Especially you guys. Come on. Hope you learn something. All right. All right. Thank no you so problem. much, you guys. All right. Peace.